New generations of wireless technology usually are introduced every decade or so. 3G in year 2000, 4G in 2010, and 5G in 2020. More than 140 5G networks have been deployed so far worldwide, according to 5G Americas. And there are about 250 million 5G subscribers today and growing every day. I am Renuka Racha, and today, in this episode of Tech 2030, a 6G World podcast, we will talk about the interesting journey of the next wireless generation as 6G begins to be imagined, even as the rapid evolution of 5G continues. Several academic research and industry organizations throughout the world are beginning to examine the possibilities and opportunities for how 6G could interact with humans and machines. Smart people with PhDs are looking at the sort of things that higher frequencies in the terahertz range could accomplish for 6G. Some of these discussions are taking place at academic institutions like NYU Wireless, the world's first academic research center to combine engineering, computer science, and medicine. NYU Wireless was formed in 2012. I never, ever thought I would work at NYU. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, but as a kid, I moved all over. That's Dr. Ted Rappaport, founding director of NYU Wireless. He has been studying this field for decades. The fun fact is that I was just finishing my master's program at Virginia Tech when Dr. Rappaport started the Wireless Center there. Uh, 2011, I got a call from several people at Brooklyn Polytechnic. It's a university in Brooklyn, which was quite famous uh, for almost 100 years, had had some tough times in the 1990s and early 2000s. And NYU, the big liberal arts university in New York, was looking to merge or to acquire Brooklyn Polytechnic. So I had a call from several leaders at NYU and Brooklyn Poly asking me if I'd ever want to come to Brooklyn, New York and be part of a merger. And how many times in your career as an academic do you get a chance to be on the ground floor of a merger? And I took a chance and I came to to Brooklyn and uh, was part of the team that got the merger done between NYU, which acquired Brooklyn Polytech to be the engineering school for NYU. And uh, I formed NYU Wireless with the help of existing colleagues there. It was a lot of fun. It was kind of a a collaborative effort to try to bring world-class research acumen and leading companies from around the world to the engineering program. And uh, it's worked out wonderfully. As we know, the introduction of the smartphone in 2008 has transformed the cellular landscape. Cell phones went from voice and text devices to high bandwidth users of internet data. Applications ranging from web browsing, email, social media, streaming, audio and video took over the mobile usage. Wireless communication has become an integral part of social infrastructure and people's daily lives. In addition, today's growth of advanced technologies such as artificial intelligence, robotics, cloud computing, and zero-touch automation has ushered in new applications and services. 
You know, that's very exciting. You know, the popular uh, press is, you know, and people in general are always wondering, what does the future hold for wireless? And I remember when the first Apple iPhone came out 2007, people were just floored at the idea of a device with a screen and, uh, you know, eventually we could take pictures and browse the internet. You know, before then it was really, you had to be really good at typing with your thumbs on a BlackBerry device. So our smartphone today, think about how you use your phone, Renuka. My phone is my camera. It's my calendar. It's my flashlight. A lot of people use it for their wallet. It does email. I do dictation. I browse the web. I can watch TV. It's my internet connection. And it's my hotspot. With tethering, it's my access point for when I want to have a rapidly deployable Wi-Fi network. Our phone does all of that. Well, 5G and the massive bandwidths are going to enable even more amazing things that our phone will do. For example, it will become a ruler where we can very accurately measure where things are. It will be a see-in-the-dark camera using sensing and directional uh, wideband signals to basically build an on-the-fly radar that we could use like night goggles. It will see behind walls eventually. It will detect the air if there's smoke or allergens in our food. It will become such an amazing sensor device, and it will continue to become the primary device with which we consume content and interact with others. I don't know how many people wear a wristwatch anymore, but you know, chances are most of the people listening to the podcast tell their time using their cell phone. Even 10 years ago, we didn't do that. So as we move to these higher frequencies where there's so much more bandwidth and the electronics allow much more spatial resolution through scanning antennas with the higher frequencies, the lower wavelengths, our phones will adapt to that new fundamental electronic capability and provide amazing sensing and imaging features that right now we don't even think of. It is reasonable to state that while 5G could meet some of these requirements, 6G is expected to be the first communication infrastructure capable of handling full-spectrum needs of the 21st century. Coming up, we will examine what is terahertz and advances in wireless communications in terahertz. As I mentioned before, 5G is the fifth generation of cellular communications technologies. It includes upgrades to cellular network software, the installation of new antennas and other hardware, and the introduction of new cellular frequencies. It will significantly improve the speed of cellular data and increase the number of cellular devices that can connect to a single cell. Let us just recap the frequencies that 5G networks and service providers use today. Mobile operators will continue to use current low-band 4G LTE cellular frequencies in the 600 to 2300 MHz for 5G. The benefit of the low-band frequencies 
is that they travel long distances and will continue to be used for widespread coverage, especially in rural and outlying suburban areas. With 5G deployments, cellular carriers are also expanding coverage and increasing data speeds by adding mid-band or sub-6 gigahertz frequencies, that is 2500 to 6000 megahertz, and high band or millimeter wave frequencies in the 24 to 60 gigahertz. Formal definition of the terahertz band is 300 gigahertz to three terahertz. Uh, I've heard a lot of engineers using the term 100 gigahertz to three terahertz as being the terahertz band. And some people call sub terahertz the frequency band from 100 gigahertz to 300 gigahertz even though technically millimeter wave is three is 30 gigahertz to 300 gigahertz. <laughs> but, but roughly speaking right now, uh, the world is, you know, learning the millimeter, millimeter wave world above uh, 24, above 30 gigahertz. And the FCC a couple of years ago opened up the spectrum above 95 gigahertz for the first time it created unlicensed Wi-Fi bands uh, above 100 gigahertz. So, and uh, England followed suit, Ofcom opened up three Wi-Fi bands. So the world is just now starting to think about this world above 100 gigahertz. So some people call it terahertz, some people call it sub-terahertz, but the bottom line is we're going above 95 gigahertz. Professor Rappaport says, we will take advantage of today's enhancements to the network for 5G, more specifically cell densification, and can carry some of the developments from the millimeter realm to future network deployments in terahertz. So the great news is once you densify the network and you have the existing poles, the towers, the lampposts, the great news is that for the next 20 years, our work is showing the world that you will not need to further densify. You will not need to get the poles any closer. The radio propagation characteristics are such that going up to several hundred gigahertz in the terahertz range means that the existing infrastructure will carry for the next decades future global standards with much, much higher data rates. That's huge news. And the fundamental reason for that is because the channel's not that different, except for the first meter in radio propagation as it leaves a transmitter. Within the first meter, at higher frequencies, the wavelength's smaller, so the wave spreads out more. So it's only that first meter of path loss that's the primary difference as you go up to frequency. Engineers don't quite get this yet around the world, but they will as they deploy 5G networks. If we can make up for that first meter of path loss with more directional antennas, well, the, the, the spacing between base stations doesn't need to change once we have the dense network. That's great news for the capital expenditure for the zoning issues that arise. So building out 5G now is an investment for decades in the future. Dr. Rappaport and his team have done significant research in modeling and demonstrating the technology. However, there are challenges that span the terahertz air interface and the transport and processing of signals at terabits per second speeds as well as to realize stable terahertz communications in practice and make it cost effective. What's interesting is you go up to these higher frequencies, as I said, the antenna patterns will become much, much more directional. So it'll be more difficult to intercept. It'll also be more difficult to make a link 
we're going to have to have much more channel state information and scanning approaches. And, and I've been working on some new antenna, adaptive array antenna structures and computational techniques that could very rapidly find a link. You know, the human motion, the Doppler is still going to be much, much smaller. It's not going to be an issue, even up to these hundreds of gigahertz carrier frequencies, because um, uh, electronics can process so much faster than uh, we can move or the channel moves. But finding these very, very narrow beams will be a challenge. So there'll be, there'll be new advances that are needed. But Matt, that makes it harder to intercept. And, and that'll be a good the U.S. government showed its support for this research in 2019 when the FCC opened the 95 GHz to 3 terahertz frequency range for experimental use and by reserving selected bands for unlicensed applications. This FCC action creates new opportunity for innovation and greenfield deployment for 6G. I asked Dr. Rappaport what government academia and industry worldwide can do more to meet the challenges of today and in future? I love that question, Ranuka. It was a big topic of discussion just yesterday when we had our annual NYU wireless board meeting where we had leading executives from companies around the world talking about that very topic. And what's really vital is industry has to be motivated to invest in a pre-competitive technology. They have to be motivated to take a risk and to partner with people they compete with to look out more than five, six, seven years into the future. They need to be willing to invest. And I think government needs to harness that investment with academicians who are highly motivated to work collaboratively, who have a track record of working collaboratively and working with industry. One of the things we discussed is should the U.S. government, in order to make sure 5G and 6G and the fundamentals of telecommunications stay strong in the U.S., should the U.S. government look at creating a national funding agency which is dedicated to telecommunications, computing, and infrastructure? Think about the National Science Foundation. In its budget, I think it's roughly $6 billion dollars. It's covering all aspects of science and engineering. It covers biology and chemistry, radio astronomy, uh, engineering, computing, communications. But what if we had a focused research arm of the federal government really focusing on communications and computing? It's become such a lifeblood. And certainly, Renuka, during COVID, we have seen how vital it has been for humankind to have reliable coverage and capacity on the mobile networks. What would we have done if the internet didn't exist and we didn't have that infrastructure? This shows the natural, national uh, importance of making sure, at least in the US, that we're competitive and that future innovations come from here. So while we have the National Institutes of Health with huge budgets dedicated to providing uh, healthcare and innovation at all the medical schools all over the U.S. We need that kind, same kind of focus on communications, computing infrastructure, I believe. So I think the federal government really needs to look at a fundamental shift in how telecom and particular wireless and circuits uh, is, is funded. 
something that I hope the federal government in the U.S. is looking at, because the FCC is great at opening up spectrum, but unless we get the companies investing pre-competitively, and a lot of companies that make their living riding on the telecom infrastructure, it's vital that they be investing and making sure that that infrastructure exists in the U.S. for jobs and for citizens, even those who are in rural areas and don't have access to what people in the major uh, urban populations have. So I'm hoping that with COVID, that the U.S. administration realizes that it's a tenuous lead the U.S. has um, in wireless. Even though we opened up the 5G spectrum first, will the technologies for 6G, will the human capital, the experts, will the young engineers that can build and innovate, create the patents and create the businesses, will they be on U.S. soil? I think it requires a major, major federal effort to get behind funding universities and getting this into the mainstream of engineering education just the way NIH does healthcare. Even though there are some challenges to overcome, Dr. Rappaport is nothing but excited to figure out what the world will look like in 2030. Of course, there are many skeptics, Renuka, just like people were skeptical back in 2007, 2008, when I started talking about millimeter wave mobility. I think I gave a lecture at Virginia Tech where you and I both spent some time in the late uh, 1980s. Uh, I gave a lecture back at Virginia Tech, I think in 2008 or 2009. <clears throat> I gave a keynote that the world would be doing mobile up at the millimeter wave frequency. And I got so much pushback. People, I think, thought I was crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and then I wrote a paper in uh, <clears throat> the IEEE proceedings about that time. It came out a couple of years later. But the bottom line is, the electronics will continue to get better, higher frequencies, more power efficient. We'll continue to learn how to make antennas and the fundamental aspects of radio propagation. This is a very exciting time in the world of wireless as we go to our fifth generation, basically into our 50s as an industry. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think it's really the start of a fundamental transformation where the whole world of wireless goes from narrowband, omnidirectional signals to wideband, very directional signals. And with that wide bandwidth and amazing spatial, or spatial resolution, we're gonna see amazing things over the next uh, couple decades. This podcast is brought to you by 6G World. It is edited and produced by Cayo Castro and hosted by me, Renuka Racha. 6G World brings together news, events, and ideas related to the next generation of communications, what the world might look like in 2030, and how to get there from here. 6G World is a platform for researchers, business, and government leaders who are focused on the needs technologies, policies, and business models for a future beyond 5G.